welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Strategies and pitfalls and post-operative management of superior soft tumors. Dr. Donington is Professor of Surgery and serves as the Chief of Thoracic Surgery here at the University of Chicago Medical Center. She is a nationally and internationally recognized expert in thoracic surgery, active researcher, and serves on the editorial boards for the Annals of Thoracic Surgery and the Journal of Thoracic Oncology. Dr. Donington, thank you for being here with us today. Happy to be here, Mia. Let's start with the case. A 65-year-old male, heavy smoker, has been referred to your office with a 6-centimeter solid mass at the apex of the right lung. The mass was found during a CT chest performed after presenting to the emergency room following a motor vehicle accident. He is otherwise healthy. However, he does report worsening right shoulder pain and paresthesia for the last few weeks. Based on this clinical scenario, Dr. Donington, how would you proceed with your workup? Are there specific details within the patient history you're looking for? What laboratory or imaging tests would you want at this time? What are the leading diagnoses in your differential? So in a heavy smoker who presents with a mass and uh, pain in the ipsilateral shoulder and arm, uh, you have to be concerned that this could represent a superior sulcus tumor uh, that obviously needs to be verified, but this is uh, very high in the differential. Um, if this is a superior sulcus tumor, this is a unique uh, subset of tumors which have a fairly well-defined treatment plan, um, which was established uh, nearly 30 or 40 years ago through the SWOG protocol. Uh, so if I'm thinking about a superior sulcus tumor, my first uh, point of uh, differentiation as a surgeon is to determine whether I think this patient is a surgical candidate. Uh, so far by what I hear on the CAT scan, it appears that he could be, but now that requires a physiologic assessment. He, uh, if he's going to have surgery, this is a big operation. And so we need to make sure not only that he has good PFPs, but that he has his cardiopulmonary uh, health to withstand that operation. If we get through that portion of it and we still think he's a good surgical candidate, then we need to do some workup uh, of the mass itself. Since all superior sulcus tumors, I shouldn't say, since the grand majority of superior sulcus tumors in most institutions are treated with uh, neovadjuvant chemotherapy and radiation. This was really the first area where that strategy was invoked prior to resection. Um, you have to get a diagnosis. So this patient requires a needle biopsy. Um, these can often be thought of to be a challenging location, but in reality, our IR colleagues are quite good uh, at this location because, again, all of these patients require a diagnosis prior to treatment. Uh, once we have a diagnosis, then you still need standard staging with a PET-CT. Uh, even in a node-negative situation, I believe these patients all require a brain MRI. And then a little bit unusual for our staging in lung cancer, this patient also requires an MRI uh, of the chest. And we're not really as concerned with what's going on in the lung itself, but what is going on uh, at the apex and in the axilla. And that's really where we uh, need to know, is there involved vessels? and the involvement of the nerve root. 
um, the physical exam participation reviews a decreased sensation on the ulnar aspect of the arm, but no weakness. Posts are intact. There is no Horner syndrome. A PET CT scan reviews a 6 centimeter right upper lobe effigiavid mass with an SUD of 15. The mass appeared to invade the chest wall, including the first and second ribs on the right. The ipsilateral mediastinal lymph nodes are enlarged. They're more than a centimeter in diameter, but demonstrate minimal FDG activity. MRI of the head with contrast is negative for metastasis. Subsequent MRI of the chest shows that the mass is impinging on the P1 nerve root. There is no evidence of invasion into the vertebral foramen or involvement of the vasculature. A percutaneous CT-guided biopsy of the mass reveals a squamous cell cancer. Subsequent EBUS and mediastinoscopy is negative for cancer. The PFTs are actually good. Uh, FV1 and DOC are more than 70%. Based on those results, what would, what would be your next step in the management of this patient? So the mediastinal lymph nodes here are a, wee, a little bit concerning. So with superior sulcus tumors, since these are such extensive resections, um, and they do carry a slightly worse prognosis than uh, some of our other uh, tumors, we do tend to kind of take our mediastinal staging one step further than we would normally. And I would say most surgeons in this country would uh, favor a pathologic diagnosis prior to uh, starting therapy, even in patients who are node negative on uh, CT and PET. The fact that these patients were, this patient had large lymph nodes, uh, I agree that moving on, even in the face of a negative EBUS to a mediastinoscopy is justified. Again, survival is poor, uh, and the treatment is uh, arduous if uh, these patients have N2 disease. Um, once we've made our diagnosis and we've ruled out that involvement, uh, the primary tumor here does appear to be resectable. It is not involving the C7 or C8 nerve roots. It is not encasing the vasculature. Those are typical things that would make you think that this might be a marginally resectable patient. Without those in place, this really does appear to be a resectable tumor. I think you now want to start uh, on, a on a course of neoadjuvant, concurrent chemotherapy and radiation. Um, the dose of radiation in the United States is typically to 45 gray. Um, some centers will take it to 60 gray. There is not a lot of strong evidence uh, supporting a dose in either direction. Uh, but uh, again, most institutions would now start with concurrent chemotherapy and radiation. When that was completed, I would then restage the patient with a PET scan and a CT scan and pulmonary function test and a visit in my office. And I typically will represent these patients at tumor board uh, to make sure that I'm having a discussion with the radiation therapist and the chemotherapy doctors who have been seeing that patient to make sure that they are still physiologically able to tolerate a resection. Uh, I also want to make sure on the repeat imaging, not necessarily that the tumor has dramatically responded radiographically, but that there's no evidence for progression, and especially progression outside of the radiation field. Uh, if that was the case, then I would want the patient to probably uh, move on 
to more systemic therapy uh, in either uh, chemotherapy or possibly Dravalumab. Okay, thank you. The patient undergoes induction chemo radiation as well as uh, radiation therapy. Aside from some fatigue, he tolerates it well and has no significant side effects. Repeat PET CT shows that the mass appears slightly smaller. It is 4.5 centimeters in diameter, suggesting a treatment response. There is no evidence of new distant disease. Assuming the patient is a reasonable surgical candidate, what operation would you offer this patient? And could you please describe the key operative steps? What are the potential danger areas during your dissection? And what's your approach to navigate around them? So, without um, a CT cut in front of me, my approach is difficult to describe. I will describe the three main approaches uh, to superior sulfur tumors, and from there we can make a decision. So, for tumors which primarily are affecting the rib posteriorly, uh, I would recommend um, a Shaw Paulson approach. So, that is, uh, you know, an extended posterior lateral thoracotomy where the posterior portion of the incision goes all the way up. Uh, almost to the neck, uh, you go through the posterior muscles, and then you're able to lift the entire scapula uh, off the chest wall. You do your standard approach into the chest uh, in the fifth intercostal space. You evaluate the lowest rib of involvement, and then you start your rib resections uh, from lowest to highest. So in this patient, it sounds like we'll be removing a second rib and a first rib. Um, the first rib is always the more challenging portion of the operation. You want to really, uh, when you get over the top of that rib, really hug that rib and come around it um, carefully uh, to avoid hitting the vasculature or injuring the vasculature uh, in that area. You also want to be careful as you divide the rib posteriorly to not be pulling too hard uh, and ripping into the dura or anything like that. For tumors which sit more anteriorly in the sulcus, I really prefer the anterior approach. Um, some people use just one approach for all of these tumors. I tend to tailor my approach to where I think the tumor is. And that's kind of what we call, I would call it the Laurier approach. It's that kind of hemi clamshell, an L-shaped incision that goes under the clavicle. Uh, and then you go uh, in between the ribs just at the space where you think the involvement is. So here we would be going into the pleural space under the second rib. Uh, at the end of the procedure, you put your clavicle back on because the clavicle should not be involved. Um, this approach is really nice for um, protection of the artery and vein because those are sitting right out there as you go in uh, and you can really work around them. If you need to reconstruct them, uh, you have that uh, ability. Um, the one difficulty with that approach is, especially if you're going in over the second rib, is you don't have great hyalur exposure. So there is discussion that some people can do the, the uh, hyalur dissection for the lobectomy through that hole, or some surgeons will prefer to just flip the patient over uh, and either do a small posterior lateral thoracotomy, or you could do a VATS procedure at that point. Uh, thirdly, there are surgeons who would do this in a VATS approach. Uh, very good VAT surgeons can definitely do this. We do have the VAT equipment in terms of bone instruments to make that happen. Um, I think that's challenging and you need to be a very good uh, minimally invasive surgeon to make that happen. I do think within the next 10 years, most of us will be approaching it that way. Okay, thank you. When would you perform a reconstruction of the chest wall and what substitutes would you consider using? 
So chest wall reconstruction after a non-block resection are typically not needed for a superior sulcus tumor. So again, this gentleman looks like we're gonna be removing two ribs. This is well protected by the clavicle and by the scapula and there's no need. So really only when you're taking resections down past the fourth rib is that really required. In some patients, if you do resect the fourth rib, that scapula will wanna get caught in that little defect posteriorly and then I would reconstruct. Uh, otherwise, I don't really think there's a need for most of these tumors to reconstruct. If I was going to reconstruct, I, especially in the back as with this type of uh, resection, I would just be using a single layer of cortex. There are many other approaches and many other materials that you can use. Um, if you're in an infected space, if you're in a bigger space, many people will use a sandwich uh, with methyl methacrylate. My approach is Gore-Tex. I don't know that we have a lot of evidence on one being really superior over the others. Great. The patient underwent an uneventful surgery and is transferred to the floor. What is your expected post-operative course for this patient? What are the most frequently encountered post-operative complications for this procedure, and when would you expect it to occur? So post-operative complications for superior sulcus resections are not that different than standard uh, lobectomies, except that this is typically you know, an open procedure, so the complications that go with an open procedure go with this uh, procedure. Uh, so you're definitely going to see pain as a major issue. Uh, which can uh, get in the way of pulmonary rehab, lead to increased pneumonias. Uh, I would recommend using an epidural catheter for most of these resections. Again, a lot of bony work, a lot of chest wall, even if you're minimally invasive, this is a case that I would use uh, an epidural. Um, also, big resections, you always have to think that the increased risk of atrial fibrillation, um, both of those things you're going to start seeing on day two and day three as being uh, your big issues. Uh, one complication which is a little bit unique to superior sulcus tumors that we don't see a lot with a more typical lung cancer resection, uh, there is a small risk for CSF leak. And you'll see this in a patient who presents with a, you know, a really uh, terrible postoperative headache. Uh, you can see clear chest tube drainage uh, as part of that. Uh, it's just something you have to uh, be on the lookout for. Um, and they can typically, uh, will seal on their own. Uh, or can be blood patch, things like that. But that's probably the one, you know, abnormal complication. I see. So the patient recovers uh, from the surgery. He comes back to see in the office in 10 days. His final pathological staging is P3N1, or stage 3A. All margins are negative. Would you offer any additional therapy, and when would you start any adjuvant treatment in case needed? Uh, so 3A positive N1 node, that's not ideal here. Um, negative margins are one of the first and important prognostic uh, factors. So the fact that the margins are negative uh, is very good and very important. Uh, ideally, N0 disease would be better uh, than N1, obviously. Uh, the discussion as to whether adjuvant chemotherapy makes sense uh, here is hard. Uh, these patients are often not in a good position physiologically to tolerate adjuvant chemotherapy. They've also been on chemotherapy. It's hard to say whether the response we have seen uh, is good or bad if we still have nodal disease. So I think this is a case-by-case -case basis. 
I would definitely bring it back to my tumor board for a discussion as to whether adjuvant therapy would make sense. I would be in favor of it, whether it's the same agents or different agents would be up to the medical oncologist. But uh, we know that this person has a pretty high uh, risk still for recurrence. The other thing we need to be a little bit careful of is that patients in the superior sulcus do tend to relapse a little bit higher in their brains than in other locations. It's a little unusual, uh, whether it's because we've given them such good local therapy with all the radiation and the resection, but it is something that we have to uh, pay special attention to. And there is discussion about whether these patients should be surveyed with an MRI and not just uh, an exam and a CT of the chest. I see. And how frequently do you perform surveillance imaging in the first few years after surgery? The evidence on surveillance protocols is not perfect yet. We don't really have a full understanding of how and when we should be surveying our uh, respected patients. Uh, I think the literature right now suggests that surveillance should include uh, both a CAT scan of the chest and an office visit uh, with an exam and that uh, they should be done every three to six months within the first two years, uh, with about half of the patients presenting uh, with their recurrence based upon imaging and half of the patients presenting uh, based upon symptomatology. That's why both parts of that are needed. I tend to do every three months, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. And again, in, in superior sulcus tumors, I always should ask myself, should I be getting a brave MRI? Great. Dr. Dorrington, thank you so much for your time.